0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is the word of the Lord. So this Beatitude series for us has been an opportunity for us to look at the blessed life that Jesus is describing. This blessed life is different than uh, what we experience, what we even talk about when we uh, use the word blessed. I uh, know hashtag blessed is something I'm seeing oftentimes in social media. Oftentimes what we see depicted uh, for those experiences are so radically different than what Jesus is describing as part of the blessed life. Jesus' definition of these beatitudes, these, these, these blessings, actually involve a lot of hardship. They involve a lot of sacrifice. They involve, invite us to see life through this lens of faith that measures and scales uh, what blessing is differently than what we experience in this world. A great example of this is Jesus' mother, Mary. So this angel comes to to Mary and says, you're you're going to be pregnant, you're going to give uh, birth to a son, and he will be the Savior, his name will be Emmanuel. And the way in which Mary responds to this, is, she says this, She says simply this, all generations will call me blessed. She knew in that moment that her life would be forever altered. She would live in disgrace as this woman who was betrothed to be with a man and yet pregnant. Uh, Her fiance might abandon her. She was even told by the angel that through this child, a soul is going to pierce your soul. Yet somehow through this all that Mary hears this all and says, Ah. This sounds like a blessed life. Why? Because she's told that she is going to carry Jesus. She's going to carry Jesus in her. And the reality is for us, in the hardships we experience, in the ways in which we're invited in to live into a different blessed life, although it might be challenging, although it might be difficult, we are given this promise that as we go, we carry within us Jesus. The life of Jesus is within us as well. And that is the blessing. That is the blessing, that these temporary hardships also include this divine privilege. So as we live into each of these Beatitudes, as we're invited into each of these Beatitudes, they're going to require faith and courage. They're going to require that we take this narrative of life and what a good life looks like from this world and, and set it aside and pick up the way of Jesus to see if in fact that Jesus is inviting us to a different type of good life. And this week we're we're considering the Beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, when you think of this idea of being pure in heart, you might be like me. My first response is to think of what does it look like for us to be without sin, to be blameless, to be without blemish, without regret, to be morally perfect. But I think that that type of understanding, although in part is true, is not complete. There's a, a different way of seeing this that I'd like to point us to. At the time of Jesus, there were, there were people who were looking to find a life of moral perfection. They saw being pure in heart as being, without a mistake, being morally higher than other people. And this group of people called the Pharisees, they sought after that kind of perfection, that kind of purity, but the problem with the Pharisees is this: they they took God's law and they actually expanded because they they wanted to honor God's law and they wanted to seek to have purity in such a way they took God's law and to protect it to make sure that they were pure they made rules up around God's law they called this a, a hedge they built this hedge around the purity of God's law like in many ways we would rope off a monument you know we'd rope off a monument so that we We honor how sacred this thing is. And so, these Pharisees, they created over 600 other rules and understandings of rules, interpretations of the rules around the law so that they would ensure that they would be perfect. They'd be pure. And yet, in their moral perfection, they missed out on what really mattered to God. What really mattered to Jesus. So we find Jesus comes, and oftentimes He challenges their rules. He challenges their way of understanding what perfection really is about. He challenges their idea of purity. And so we find there in the Gospel such a conflict between Jesus, who's calling us to a different kind of purity, and the purity of the religious elite of that day. And we find that Jesus, something is stirred within Him. Jesus, who is so kind and gentle, for the sinners, for those who are outcasts, that we find that Jesus, something uh, happens in him, something is steward. Some of the hardest words that we find in the Gospels are given to these, these people, these Pharisees who are seeking a different kind of purity. So here is a couple of verses from Matthew 23. But I want you to see not only the harshness that Jesus exhibits, but what he's actually attacking. This is in Matthew 23, starting in verse 13. He's speaking to the Pharisees here and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Ouch! Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, your paprika, sorry. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, and you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and, but swallow a camel. <laughs> woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees. We get the point, Jer- Jesus. No, 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 I'm not done. We, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will be clean as well. The disciples are trying to pull Jesus away. He's like, No, 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 I got one more. I got one more. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Unclean. And in the same way on the outside you appeared to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Take it easy, Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus drops the mic and walks off. Jesus's anger here is obvious. This is a different side of Jesus than we see in the rest of the Gospels, right? Like I've never heard a sermon series on, on those verses. The woe to you's. Instead, we choose the Beatitudes. But we see here Jesus' anger is obvious because He hates it when people demand uh, a religious obedience that leads them far from the heart of God. To, to take God's name and to apply it in such a way that, that creates a, a setting in which people are devalued. And there's hypocrisy. That's not, it's not truthfulness. I think this is in part what maybe God is so angered by when His name is taken in vain. The problem with empty purity is this. It succeeds in everything that doesn't matter to God. That's the problem of empty purity. It succeeds in everything that doesn't really matter to God. And that's the difference between externally moral versus being inwardly devoted. We see the, what Jesus was attacking was the shell, the shell of religiosity. Yet the heart was far from God. The heart was far from God. What Jesus is here describing this beatitude is a purity that actually comes from the heart. The biblical idea of a heart. That we, you know, it, sometimes in the church we talk about the heart, uh, without explaining it much. The idea of the heart in from the Bible, from Scripture is that the heart is the very central, the very core of one's personhood. That you have a heart. It's the very deepest part of you. It's the center of your being that includes your mind, your will, your emotions. And it's the belief that Scripture shares with us that what happens in our heart influences all of us. Rather than perfecting the outer shell, what God is after is the very core of who you are, to, to, to meet you there, to transform you there. This is why we have in the wisdom saying things like Proverbs 23, which says this, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. From your heart pours out our motivation, our thoughts, our deeds, our attitudes. They're all from deeply within us. And whether we know it or not, we all have our life flowing from our heart. And that is the place where God wants to meet with us. What are we doing to nurture our heart? What are we doing to meet with God? To guard our heart? I believe the pure in heart that Jesus is blessing here doesn't mean necessarily heart that is flawless or without sin. Those things are good to have. But purity that Jesus is after can also be understood as being made up of one thing. For something to be pure, another way of understanding it is, it's made up of one thing. It's a heart that's undivided, a heart that's filled by one substance, made and motivated by that thing. What is the substance that Jesus is longing for our hearts to be purely made from? Notice that Jesus is announcing this beatitude. This beatitude comes not after hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but it comes right after the experience of blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think the thing that God wants our heart to be made up of more than anything else is this reality of God's mercy and grace that fills us from the very core of who we are with God's presence, that our heart is God's residence, and the very thing that reigns in God's residence is Mercy. It fuels who we are. And therefore, if that is what our heart is made up of, everything flows from that. Everything flows from the mercy and the love and the grace of God that has taken up residence deep within you. Deep within you that can never be touched or changed by this world. can never be changed by a title, by a relationship change. That deep within you, the very core of who you are, is God's presence. Not only can the Pharisees miss the mark, but I think we can too. We can take the gospel of Jesus and easily make them into a hollow list of religious rules, where we perfect our outer shell and judge others who don't have that kind of shell. Or we can we can we can make ourselves like the Pharisees. We protect this image that we have while inside we are dry and we're dying. Or we can put on and take our devotion to God, meet with God within our heart, and allow mercy to flow in and through our lives. But we often miss the mark. In Revelation, uh, John is, is writing letters to different churches, and one of the churches that he's writing to is a church in Ephesus. And it's a church that seems, if you were to have a list of everything a church should be and do... It's just checking off every box. This is Revelation 2, starting in verse uh, 2. Uh, This is a prophetic word over this church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for My name. You have not grown weary. These are all marks of a healthy church, right? These are all things that you would hope a church would be. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And all your activity and all your duty and all your busyness. You're missing something, and that thing that you're missing is the most important thing. You have forsaken, you have forgotten, you have left behind the love that you had at first. Do you remember what it was like when the, the, the pure childlike truth of Jesus' love captivated you? You've left that behind. The fact that God knows you by name, that he hears every prayer that you've ever prayed, that he's walked alongside of you throughout your whole life. That just simple truth that, that fuels your hearts, so you have left that behind. So verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning when you didn't know no, when you didn't know how to pray eloquently, when you couldn't spout off your religious knowledge that you couldn't, you didn't know how to, to, to look and appear like you're a mature Christian. Go back there. Be overwhelmed with gratitude. Remember what it was like to know that Jesus is your Savior. And then he gives this, gives this challenge. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstands from it, place. That idea of a lampstand, this is symbolic warning The lampstand is this picture of God's vibrant presence. God's unique, tangible presence within the church. And so, this is a warning saying, if you forsake that first love, God's unique and abiding presence within your community is going to be lost. This is the importance of having a heart that is pure. A heart that is fully devoted to the love of God the mercy of God, that you have learned to remain with God, to relish in that relationship and that, and that salvation. As a follower of Jesus, it's simple that we will never graduate from the remedial experience of being desperately in need of God's mercy and grace. We'll never graduate beyond that. There's no achieving of some place where we won't be still in need to step into the, the streams of mercy and grace. There's no moving past it, no maturing beyond it. It is the very air in which we breathe as followers of Jesus. A very spiritual life is built upon that single truth, that we are in need before a loving and gracious God, generous God. In part, that I, this is what I think Jesus meant in John 15, the very namesake for our church, the vine and the branches, that the, the job of a branch is to remain connected to the vine. To abide with the vine. For us, our primary calling as followers of Jesus is to remain with Jesus. To have our hearts be made up of one thing. It's of Christ's presence. Of dependence upon Christ's presence. Lately, I've been thinking about what is a marker for someone who's walking with Jesus? Someone who is familiar with uh, being with Jesus in their life. And what I've come to is is this. The marker for me of a true disciple and apprentice of Jesus is someone who has an ever-growing sense of God's nearness. Someone who's been walking with Jesus, someone who knows God, is displayed in this ever-growing sense and awareness of God's presence. Are you growing in your ability to slip in and out of prayer often? Are you living your day with this abiding awareness of God's nearness in your life? When you feel stretched in your day, do you turn to God? When you have a conflict, do you remember that God's there with you? When you experience delight, when you, you enjoy the goodness of life, do you just have that, that object be the end of that delight, or do you also include, thank you, God, for this, for this thing, for this place, for this experience, for this person? For me, this is the greatest marker of someone who's walking with Jesus, is to this, this abiding relationship, this abiding awareness of God's nearness. So this last week, like I shared, the Vine was welcomed into our larger church family, the Evangelical Covenant Church. Our church family is not a doctrinaire church. What that means is that we don't have, you know, 80 things that we have to check off that we believe to belong. Uh, Instead of that, we have central affirmations that we rally around, things that are deeply important to us. That includes the centrality of God's Word. That includes uh, being called to the mission of God's church. But it also includes something that I've been thinking about in preparing for this message, which is this. We affirm a conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Like for us, what we affirm as a church body, for us as as what we would hope for you, is that we affirm a conscience dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It's more than just acknowledging, yeah, I need God's presence in my life, but it's actually being conscious about it. It's actually being aware of it, living into it, pressing into that. This is uh, something that was uh, shared in 1885 and this, this denomination put together and we haven't graduated beyond it. We still need this. Rather than seeking to be morally perfect on the score sheet, I wish that I would be more consciously dependent upon God's presence. And the reason why is if my job was just to be morally perfect, I would just have my list of rules and I would make sure that I would check off all the boxes. But if this is what I'm calling, being called to do instead, this is what it means to be pure in heart, is for me to be dependent upon God's presence and for me to, to live with that, that means that I am actually living in relationship with God who's here. If I just have my rule sheet, God could not even be a part of that equation. But God wants us to grow in our dependence and our awareness of life with Him. And I believe that if we begin to live like this more, where we're incredibly independent and aware upon God's presence in our life, something unique would happen. It's actually promised in this beatitude. What The unique thing would happen is that we would begin to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's the very nature of life that the more you long for something, the more you will see it. Just the very nature of thinking and longing. I remember when I got dumped uh, when I was much younger, in my early 20s. Has anyone here like, experienced being dumped? Like, where, like you, like it wasn't like a mutual breakup. One person said, we're over with, and the other said, no, we're not. That was me in this situation. And I got completely dumped. And it was the craziest thing. My longing for like, oh, I can't believe this is over with. I began to think of this person all the time. Like every time I'd go to a restaurant, I'm like, oh, we ate here. Oh, where I'd see a movie. Oh, remember the, we wanted to see this movie together. Or, or I would hear a song and be like, oh, this was our song. It was not our song. We just happened to hear it at the same time. By the way, if anyone who's just starting to date someone, don't come up with like a R song that's a really good song. You're gonna ruin it. <laughs> like choose something like, I don't know, Macarena or something. <laughs> Until you like you're really into the relationship and then you can turn it on. But I just my longing, I started just seeing this, it would pop up all the time. Or or for exa- another example, I, I heard a really interesting interview, a podcast with uh, Elon Musk who created Tesla. And just this interaction, this unique perspective, it was so fascinating. I thought at the very end of it, uh, huh, I wonder one day if I might own a Tesla. Right, because this is like something that I should really long for. But I started thinking, like, I wonder if I, it would be cool to have a Tesla one day. And guess what I started seeing all over Austin? Teslas. And it wasn't like a big news report happened, like, Mark Charbonneau now wants a Tesla, release them. Like, have all the Teslas come out. Like, there were no more Teslas Monday than they were Sunday. But the fact is, my longing allowed me to see them. Like, I could just see them everywhere. What if you and I long to see and experience God more in our life? Even in the mundane moments of our life, what if we just long to know God more? What if we weren't content in just what we've experienced in the past, but we began our days by saying, God, I just, I just want to know that you're with me. I just I want to encounter you today. I want to experience you afresh. What if we long to see God in the mundane moments of our days, believing that all of life can be sacred? What if we believe that God wanted to meet with you through the reading of His Word, through moments of prayer, even in our worship. I believe that we see in this beatitude, what we see and it would come true, that as our hearts would be purely devoted to one thing, we would begin to see God. Why? God wants to be found. God wants to be known. God wants to be experienced. I think this is in part why Jesus said, ask seek and knock and you will be given is that God is generous with being known. God wants to be known. If only we could grow day by day in our awareness and dependence upon God. There is a classic book written um, by a man named Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. It was written in 17th century by a Carmelite monk in France, Brother Lawrence. And he actually wrote this book. People began to reach out to him because they just wanted to know how he experienced such a vibrant relationship with God. He was actually, um, his duty at the monastery was, he was in charge of cooking and especially cleaning the pots and pans and dishes of the monastery. And uh, you would think with was such a dull task that he would be left uh, without much joy in his life, without much of an abiding presence. But Brother Lawrence began to infuse his relationship with God with every moment in his day in the menial tasks as he cleaned the dishes to pray for God's cleansing work in his life, and preparing the food, just, talk, just thank God for the creation of food, and using his life as an opportunity to encounter God. Brother Lawrence believed that all of life could point us to an experience of the divine. He, he, he said these, these words in that work, We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it's performed. Elsewhere, he said, we must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of Him. And when we come to love Him, we shall then think, uh, then also think of Him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. That's a pure heart who has a treasure that is knowing and loving God. This is the conscious abiding that's what is meant to be a pure heart. What's interesting is what people, what people who knew Brother Lawrence, they always said the same thing about him, is that he was the most joy-filled person that they had met. This monk who had this abiding conscious dependence and awareness of God's presence wasn't this somber person. He was so joy-filled. Why? Because he was encountering God in the purity of his heart made up of one thing that mattered most. So in place, we, as a community, we usually have communion every Sunday. We believe that uh, we, we, we want to follow Jesus in sacred experiences. Today, I'd like to conclude um, with a different practice. Our church's mission is to learn what it means to follow Jesus. And prayer is a huge part of that. And so as we are thinking this week of what does it mean to live with a greater awareness and a presence of Jesus we are reminded of the gift of prayer. Prayer is more than just petitions and asks and requests from God. Prayer is also practicing Jesus's presence. This is why it's so important, like I don't want us to be like overly religious about this, but this is why it's so important for us to begin our day in prayer. Because we begin our day before we turn on our phone and see the alerts from the world that are coming to us, we begin our day in prayer because we need to practice God's presence before we go into the world so that we can see and experience God in the rest of our day. And one of the ways that we can do that is uh, through something called the Lectio Divina. So I'd like to uh, lead us through that experience. This is a uh, also, I wanted, wanted to do this not only for us to do together, but also so that you could see this tool and use it in the rest of your life. The Lectio Divina is, um, is a way of using Scripture to guide us in prayer for us to encounter and commune with God. And there's five different steps. One is to prepare, which means just to quiet yourself. For some people, they light a candle. Then you read Scripture, a, one piece of Scripture, you read it then four times. First you read it, and you notice any words or phrases that jump out. Secondly, you reflect. You read it again. And you sit with that word and pray, And you just re- uh, reflect upon it. And invite God to, to teach you more about it. Then you respond, which means you respond to God in prayer. You dialogue with God. Some people, they journal. They respond to God with whatever God's teaching that moment. And then finally, you reread it again. And you just simply rest. You just are with God. Just abide with God. So, I'm going to guide us in a time of doing this together as we practice the presence of God, as we attune our hearts to be made up more of one thing. So, I invite you to take a couple deep breaths in and out and still still yourself. Passage from the Gospels that speak about purity of heart and seeing God. So, as I read this passage for the first time, just notice any words or phrases that jump out. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, "Jesus!" go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I read this a second time, reflect upon that word or phrase that jumped out to you, you, might even want to imagine this story playing itself out. Allow God to take you deeper into the story. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were living the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard it, it was Jesus from Nazareth, he began to shout. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. third reading will respond afterwards to God in prayer. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now respond to God in prayerful conversation. Noticing what thoughts or emotions or questions have been stirred. And share that with God. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. heart and your mind. Just spend this time resting with God. Be still and know that he is God. I pray that you would give us courage and faith to throw all things aside. Whether our hollow morality, our sin, our regret, our shame, whatever it might be, our pretense, our doubt, our control, that we would throw it aside and that we jump to our feet, that our heart would be set upon you. And I pray as our hearts would be purely set and dependent upon you that we would be able to see that you would give us this beatitude, that we would see you. We'd see you throughout the days of our life. We would see you in the relationships. We'd see you in this world so that we can bring about your kingdom, your name. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.